uh, is today is going to be a bit of a different uh, worship service than normal. Uh, if you're a guest with us, uh, normally what we do is what you might expect. We begin uh, with singing, we pray together, uh, we receive a message based upon the Bible and respond to it together. Uh, normally, uh, the messages aim to be expositional, which means we try to take uh, the main uh, point of a passage and make that the main point of a sermon. Uh, but today, uh, we'll still be singing, uh, we'll still be uh, praying the Bible, we'll still be responding to God's Word together. Uh, but with the new year starting, uh, we wanted to take today uh, to have a little refresher on one of our practices that we've adopted as a church called Community Bible Reading, or CBR for short. Uh, so Community Bible Reading is a practice uh, designed to increase our intimacy with Jesus uh, through a daily Bible reading discipline, and to increase our intimacy with one another as we respond to the scriptures together. And we started this practice two years ago as a church, and so we thought it might be helpful after two years uh, to do a little refresher on the why, what, and how of community Bible reading. And as important as the why and the what are, uh, we thought it might be most helpful for us to actually start by getting a taste of what it looks like to engage the scriptures together uh, using CBR. Uh, so the first half of our service uh, is going to use the bookmarks you found on your seat as kind of a template, uh, with the second half of our service being dedicated to uh, renewing our vision of why we do this and what it looks like. So you can look at your bookmark, do that for right this moment. Uh, the front side of the bookmark uh, is... Uh, a reading plan that's central to community Bible reading. It's a, a central part of what we're doing. Too. We're reading the scriptures together. Uh, and so we, Monday through Friday, have an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. On Saturdays, we have a psalm. And then on Sundays, uh, we take the day off from reading because we're coming together to receive God's word together. Then on the back side, uh, you'll find uh, a process that walks you through a way to meditate on, read, and pray the scriptures with the goal of increasing our intimacy with Jesus and one another. Uh, and so it's that process you find on the back half, or the back of the bookmark, that will set uh, the tone for our service as we alternate between uh, reflecting on the scriptures, praying the scriptures, and then singing in response to them. Now one of the first steps that you'll see on the back of your bookmarks regarding community Bible reading is uh, our surrender through prayer. Now, one of the broader principles from CBR that we'll cover later in the service is that we want to focus on uh, what's impactful, not what's confusing. And today, we'll be reflecting on the short letter of Jude as an example of how God's Word can lead us to worship and transform our lives, even when significant parts of Scripture are confusing. But even when the scriptures are easier to understand, we believe that apart from the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts and lives, we can neither understand the significance of God's word for our life, nor receive God's word in faith. So we begin our time reading God's word by asking for his help. This is why our bookmarks begin with surrender through prayer. As we do this, we are confessing our dependence upon the Lord for understanding and faith. We're asking the Lord to soften our hearts so that we'll submit to the Scriptures. We're asking the Lord to help us see, know, and trust Jesus through the Scriptures. And we ask the Lord to lead us to a specific portion of Scripture that is impactful to us. 
So as we prepare to engage God's word in a portion of scripture that can be confusing, let's begin our time together by surrendering to him and asking for help. Heavenly Father, we confess that apart from the work of your spirit, we will neither understand your word and its significance for our lives, nor receive your word in faith. And so we ask that you would soften our hearts now, that you would strengthen our faith, so that we would be eager and prepared to receive what you have prepared for us in your word, joyfully in faith. We also know that you use your word to help us see Jesus, to love Jesus. And so we ask that as we leave our time in worship together, that you would have used your word to deepen our affection for him, to help us treasure him more. And so that as we leave here, we would leave in response to his grace and love for us in faith and in faithfulness. And so it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And next, we listen to the scriptures together. Uh, so if you haven't turned there yet, I invite you to open your Bible to Jude. Uh, if you're using a community Bible, it's on page 1027, but the page number doesn't actually appear there. Uh, so turn towards the end, and it comes after uh, the letters to John, but before Revelation. And we're going to listen to God's word together. Good morning. I'm David, and I'm a member here at Northwood. Here's the scripture today from Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully, fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, 
wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. So after we surrender to God through prayer, we listen to the scripture. And I trust that as you listen to Jude, you heard a lot of things that were very confusing. Uh, and a lot of things that seem like it would be hard to glean something meaningful for our lives. Uh, And this is one of the temptations when we read the Bible, is we read the Bible as if it's primarily about us. And so when we come to passages like Jude, it becomes very difficult to read Scripture in any sort of meaningful way. But when we read Scripture that way, we're actually missing out that the Bible is God's self-revelation to us about who he is and what he's doing in and through Jesus to redeem a people for himself. And so we actually then use the acronym you find there, ACTS, to help us focus on what the Bible is focused on. Uh, we use ACTS, A-C-T-S, to adore, confess, thank, and supplicate, which I'll define later. Uh, but once we've meditated on the scriptures using this to turn our attention to the right places, we then turn those meditations back to the Lord in prayer. So that's under the heading, Pray the Scriptures, on your bookmark. So we listen to him, and then we speak to him. Like any good relationship, there's two-way communication. We listen to God through the Scriptures, and then we respond to God in prayer. And I hope you'll see that if we read and pray the Scriptures in this way, that we can actually pray for our church family and people in it that we don't know, because who doesn't want to turn Scripture into prayer for us? So even when we don't know specific needs, we can pray the Scriptures over people around us. And this is why for the last year or so, if you receive our weekly emails on Friday, we turn the Psalms into prayer requests for our church family. You may have noticed on Friday, 
We turn Jude into prayer requests for our family anticipation of this Sunday. And moving forward, in order to encourage uh, the scripture we're uh, reflecting on on Sundays, kind of reverberate even more through our church, we'll be taking the passage that's going to be preached on a Sunday and turn that into prayer requests for our church family. And so I hope that as we reflect on this, you'll embrace not just engaging with the Lord, but praying for our church family. Now, as we walk through this together, I'll be trying to model what reflecting on the scriptures looks like in this way and what it looks like to turn that back into prayer. Uh, But for the sake of time, I'll just be drawing our attention to a few things we can glean from each section. And as I pray, I'll incorporate more of the reflections I had but don't have time to draw your attention to. Uh, So with all that in mind, let's turn to the first letter we see, uh, A, which stands for adoration. So in adoration, we're asking, how does this passage reveal God's attributes and actions? Uh, Who he is and what he's doing. Now, if you're using the Seeing Jesus Together journal, you'll notice that it specifically says to praise the Father for his attributes and actions. Uh, But you might find it more helpful, especially in sections like the Gospels, where Jesus is talked about more than God the Father, to simply look for what attributes describe God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as you do that, you might see things like God is pure, loving, almighty, compassionate, faithful, eternal, generous, just, omniscient, or something else. These are attributes of God. And some passages will outright tell us what God is like, but other passages will tell us a story that illustrate what he's like. And so we're going to take a moment now to do this in Jude. As we reflect on what we just heard read in Jude, we'll go looking for ways we see uh, who God is and what he's doing uh, so we can praise him. So look with me first in verse 1. Jude writes, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Here, Jude is describing God as the Father, which reminds us that God has and always will exist as a triune God who revealed himself as Father, Son, and Spirit, which means from eternity past, before he created the world, before he did anything else, God was Father, which means God has always loved and always had someone to love. And now, because of the person and work of Jesus, the love God has always poured out on Jesus, he now pours out on us. And so we can praise God that he is Father, we can know him as Father, and that because of Jesus, we can experience his fatherly love. Second, jump all the way down to verse 14 and 15. Here, he says, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones, to execute judgment on all, and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness. Here we see that in addition to God being a God of love, he is also a God of justice. And because he is just, no unrighteousness, no evil, no sin, no wicked deed will ever go unpunished. He will judge the wicked. And whenever we're wronged, or see incredible wrongdoing going on in the world, our hearts cry out for justice. And so we can praise God that despite the brokenness and fallenness we see in our world, despite the things done wrong to us or to others, at the end of the day, justice will be served. And so we can praise God that he is a just God who will judge the wicked. So let's turn now to prayer and praise God for who he is. 
Heavenly Father, from eternity past, you existed in a loving relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We praise you that because you have always been a father, you have always been marked by love for your son. And now because of your son's work, we can experience the same love you had for Jesus personally. But you are not just loving, you are also just. You will punish the ungodly and wicked for their sin and rebellion against you. And yet in your love and grace, you've delayed judgment so that we might experience conviction of sin. Realize we need your grace and come to you in faith. So we praise you that you are a God both of love and holiness, mercy and justice. We praise you that although no wicked deed will go unpunished, even our own, in Christ you still show mercy to wicked people like us. And so we praise you that you are powerful and in control. When the angels rebelled against you, you kept them in chains. And although we who are prone to weakness and sin and stumbling, you are able to keep us from stumbling. God, you are our loving, just, and all-powerful Father. We praise you for who you are and all that you've done. Amen. So next we turn to that second letter, C, uh, which stands for confession. And in confession... We're asking, how does this passage expose my sin, rebellion, idolatry, or foolishness? The primary problem we find in the Bible is our sin, idolatry, and rebellion against God. And so as we read the scriptures, we'll often come across things that require us to confess our sin and rebellion against God. And so in some passages, we'll see that God has sacrificially loved others. And we'll realize that we actually often, more often, sacrifice others for ourselves. In some passages, God will teach us that we should be honest, and we'll realize we need to be honest about our lack of honesty. In some passages, we'll see biblical characters living faithfully and obediently, and we'll have to confess that we are not obedient in the same ways. But other times, we'll see biblical characters dramatically blowing it, and we'll realize that we're a lot like them. And so in all these ways, we'll have to confess ways we have fallen short of the glory of God. And so now let's take a moment to reflect again on Jude and see how Jude might lead us to confess our sin, idolatry, rebellion, or foolishness. Look with me first in verse 3. Jude writes, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing you to contend for the faith. Here Jude seems to be concerned that the people he's writing to are not defending the faith, arguing for the faith that has been entrusted to them. And so he's appealing to them to start doing that. But not just that, he talks about his eagerness to talk about our common salvation. Yet if we were to reflect on Jude and his audience, we'd realize that many of us are often not eager to speak about Jesus. We're not eager to speak about our salvation. We're not eager to defend or argue for the faith that we've received. Sometimes we're in fact content to have superficial relationships with one another that are based more on our common interests with one another than Jesus. We're content at times to minimize the Bible's teaching on difficult doctrines. And so we can confess from this that we're not always eager to speak about Jesus. We're not always eager to defend the Bible's more difficult teachings. Next, look with me just a verse down, verse 4. 
He says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. Here, Jude's concern seems to be that some people are using the grace of God to excuse sin. Their rationale goes something like this. If God is going to be gracious and forgive me anyway, then I can keep on sinning. Or it might be something like this. You know, if God shows grace to sin, if I sin more, God will show more grace. And that'll be a good thing. And yet Jude is saying, this is a perversion of the grace of God. And yet we can recognize in ourselves that we at times use the grace of God to excuse our own sin, to minimize and overlook the sin of others, rather than to treat God's grace as it should be, something that leads us to godliness. And so based on what we've meditated here, we're going to now confess to God our sin, foolishness, and rebellion. And as I confess, I'm going to use we language, not I language, not because we've necessarily all committed these specific sins, although I'm sure some of us have, but rather like the people of God did in the Old Testament, they would confess the sins of their fathers, not necessarily the sins they had done, to make a break from the pattern of life their fathers had, to say, we're not going in that path. So as we confess together on behalf of those who have committed this sin, we're going to confess together to receive God's grace. And for those of us who have not, to make a a declaration that we are breaking from this way of life. So please join me in a prayer of confession. Heavenly Father, we confess that despite the glories of your grace in Jesus, despite how good and kind you have been to us, we are not always eager to speak about your grace. We are not always eager to speak about what you've done for us, and we are not always eager to fight for the truth you have entrusted to us. Instead, at times, we have even perverted your grace in order to excuse sin so that we can pursue our sinful desires. We'll even justify our own grumbling and discontentment against you because we think we deserve better than we have. And because we have loved and justified our own sin, we've also neglected to guard our own brothers and sisters in Christ from the deceitfulness of sin and the empty promises of false teaching. At times, we even pervert your grace in order to excuse not just our own sin, but theirs as well. And Father, with you, we confess that these things ought not be so. But Lord, we need your mercy and grace, not only to be our defense and righteousness, but to guide us, free us, and change us. And so because of Jesus, who has washed us clean, we confess this to you with confidence that you will receive it in grace and mercy. In his name, amen. So now we come to the third letter, T, which stands for thanksgiving. And here we're asking how a particular passage points us to Jesus' past, present, and future salvation. And so if the primary problem in the Bible is our sin and rebellion against God, one of the main things the Bible is telling us from Genesis to Revelation is what God is doing in and through Jesus to save a people for himself. And this salvation that he offers to us is past, present, and future. So if you're a Christian, if you have turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus, we have been saved, are being saved, and will be saved. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. By God's mercy, we were, among other things, forgiven, justified, adopted, and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are being saved from 
the power of sin right now by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. By his work, we are being made less selfish and more selfless, less sinful and more holy, all this over time. And we will be one day saved from the presence of sin altogether. When Jesus comes back, he will establish his kingdom in all its fullness. We will receive glorified bodies where we won't have the capacity to sin, let alone even want sin. And so as we read the scriptures, they'll point us to our need for Jesus, and they'll point us to the hope we have in our salvation in Jesus. As we meditate on that work, that should then lead us to thanksgiving, thankfulness for what God has done. So let's again look to Jude and see how this passage points us to the saving work of Christ. Look with me first at verse 1. Jude writes to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. And this gives us two reasons to thank Jesus for the salvation we have in him. First, he writes to those who are called beloved in God the Father. Apart from the work of Jesus, we are not loved but condemned. But because Jesus died in our place, we are adopted as God's children. We become beloved members of his family. And so we can thank Jesus that because of his work on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, we are members of God's family, loved by God. Second, he writes to those who are kept for Jesus Christ. Which reminds us the salvation that Jesus purchased is one that lasts. He keeps us. We do not keep ourselves. And so we can thank Jesus that the salvation he bought for us on the cross, he did so in order to buy a faith that lasts. We will be kept to the end when he saves us. Now look down just another verse. To see another way we can thank Jesus. He writes in verse 2, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, we receive mercy. We don't receive what we do deserve, God's judgment. And because we don't receive that, we've instead received forgiveness, which provides peace with God. And, as we just saw, we're brought into his family, loved by God, and now loved by one another. And so it's because of what Jesus has accomplished for us that we can experience an abundance of mercy, peace, and love. And he goes on. Look with me in verse 5. Jesus says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt. Here we see Jesus has always been redeeming a people for himself. First, he rescued his people out of literal slavery in Egypt. He rescued them out of their bondage, which now reminds us Jesus has rescued us from our slavery to sin. We formerly had to sin, had no freedom to do anything but indulge our sinful desires. But now, by the power of the Spirit, we are being freed from our bondage to sin so that we can, for the first time ever, live to please God. And so we can thank God that just as he saved people out of Egypt, He is saving us from our bondage to sin. And finally, look with me in verse 24. He writes, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Here we see we look forward to a salvation where Jesus will present us blameless before God the Father. Because of Jesus' shed blood, we are covered So that when God looks at us, he does not see our sin. He does not see our wickedness. Rather, he sees the innocence, the righteousness, the perfection of Christ. 
so that when he comes back, he will present us pure and blameless, a bride on her wedding day. And so we can thank Jesus because we have been found blameless and one day we'll be forever in God's presence, blameless before him. And it's all of these things that we remember as we come to the Lord's table together in communion. It's because Jesus' body was given for us and because Jesus' blood was shed for the forgiveness of sin that we have become beloved children of God, that we can experience an abundance of mercy, peace, and love, that we are being set free from the power of sin and that one day we will be in the presence of God forever free from sin. And so... As we take communion, we remember what Christ accomplished. We celebrate our union with him. We proclaim him until he comes back and does all these things. And because he has united us together as one family, we do this together in unity of love for one another and for our Savior. But Paul also warns that whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood. So let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So in a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table. But before, before we do, we want to take a moment to examine ourselves. We want to examine ourselves to see if we are in Christ. So if you have not turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, then this is not a meal for you. I plead with you to instead take this time to consider all that Jesus has done for you. The things we just reflected on. He has provided you a heavenly Father. Mercy, peace, love. He transforms you and frees you. And take the time to consider coming to him to receive his grace. If you'd like to know more about what it means to turn from your sin, trust Jesus, please come talk with me after the service. But second, we need to examine our relationships within the body of Christ. One of the core concerns that would lead Paul to uh, say you're taking this in an unworthy manner is the divisions running through the church in Corinth. And so if you are harboring bitterness towards someone, if you do not want to forgive someone, if there is division in the body as a result of you, And take the time to consider that and go and make things right. But refrain from taking the Lord's Supper until you do that. The third, examine yourself for unrepentant sin. We need to remember as we come to the table, we all come as sinners saved by grace. And we come to the table as sinners saved by grace. And if that weren't the case, none of us would ever come. But the mark of a Christian is that we repent of known sin. And so the call here is to examine your life for unrepentant sin. Not whether or not you've sinned since the last time we've taken communion. I assume every single one of us have done that one way or another. But rather, whether we're holding on to a sin as more important than Jesus. Rather than joining Jesus in the fight against sin, we've teamed up with sin against Jesus. And if that's you, I plead with you, surrender that and come back to Jesus for a fresh experience of his grace. His grace is sufficient for you. So now we're going to take a moment to examine ourselves. And I hope you'll take this as a moment to reflect on all that Jesus has done for you so that we can thank him for his saving work on the cross. Let's take a moment to examine ourselves and thank Jesus for all he's done.
said, we come to this table by grace. So as you reflect, when you're ready to come, I invite you to come, trusting that Jesus' blood is enough to cover you. Uh, As you come, please come down the middle aisle, take the elements back to your seat with you uh, so that we can take them together as an expression of our unity as the body of Christ. Uh, Whenever you're ready, come to the table by his grace. The night before Jesus was crucified, he shared the Passover meal with his disciples, a meal that originally was remembering how God rescued his people out of Egypt from slavery that Jesus would then take and make a new thing out of it, celebrating how he rescues his people from slavery into sin. And so uh, when he had taken the bread, broke it, and given thanks, he said, this is my body given for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember together Christ's body given for us. And then taking the cup when he had blessed it, he says, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. Let's drink now the cup in remembrance of Christ's blood shed to cleanse us of our sin. Martha, what Jesus has done so much to rescue us from the power and penalty of sin. Let's thank him through prayer and then song for all he's done. Jesus, it's because of you that we have become beloved children of God. It's because your work on the cross was finished that we can be confident that the salvation you have purchased for us is one that will last until the end. And it was on the cross that you showed us mercy. It was on the cross that you made peace between us and God and one another. And it was on the cross that you showed us love. So now that despite all that we've done and all that we will do, we can be confident that we will always be loved by you. And this is not something you just did on a whim, but it's something you've always done. From before the foundation of the world, you chose to love and redeem us. And you saved your people out of Egypt. You redeemed them and brought them out of bondage. And now in love, You are freeing us from the power of sin in our own lives so that we can live for you. And when you come back, you are going to make us blameless and spotless and you are going to present us as a beautiful bride on her wedding day because your blood has covered our sin. So Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. And we thank you that you purchase all this by dying on the cross for our sin and then raising three days later for our justification. Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done by your life, death, and resurrection. And it's because of what you've done we can even pray right now. And so it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we now come to the last letter, S, which stands for supplication. And here we're asking, how does this passage cause us to yearn or long for the Holy Spirit to transform us into the image of Jesus? God promises that his word will bear fruit. And so we can trust that as we read God's word and prayerful dependence on his spirit, that his spirit will lead us to live a life of love and faithfulness more and more and more. And so it could be that a passage tells us about an attribute of God that we long to become more like. 
It could be that the passage initially brought conviction of sin, but after confessing that sin to God, it's only natural and biblical for us to want righteousness to replace that sin. And so in supplication, we ask for God to do that. Now, supplication is an old school word uh, that refers to a passionate request, even to the point of begging. And so to supplicate is to beg for something we deeply desire from someone who can grant our request. And so as we listen to the scriptures, we want to ask, even beg the Holy Spirit to transform us in specific ways as only he can do. And so we're going to take a moment to reflect on Jude again, looking for ways this leads us to long to be like Jesus. All right, if you would, jump all the way down to verse 20 through 23. Here, Jude exhorts his audience and us to do several things. He says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Here we see several exhortations we can ask the Spirit to produce in us. Jude exhorts us here to keep ourselves in the love of God. And so we can ask the Holy Spirit to give us a greater experience of his love and to come to treasure his love more. He exhorts us to wait for the mercy of Jesus. We all know that waiting can be difficult, especially when we're not making progress as quickly as we like. And yet he exhorts us here to wait for the mercy of Jesus so we can ask the Holy Spirit for patience, to joyfully wait for his work. Third, he exhorts us to have mercy on those who doubt. If you were with us last week, I pointed out that for some reason, doubt and questions do not always find their home in the church. And perhaps according to Jude, this would be because we don't have mercy on those who are doubting. And so we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us be merciful to those who have doubts and questions. Finally, he exhorts us to save others by snatching them out of the fire, which given the context seems to suggest that Jude is urging us to protect our brothers and sisters in Christ from falling away from Jesus by warning them of the deceitfulness of sin and the empty promises of false teaching. And so we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us love our brothers and sisters in Christ enough to do that and to have the courage to do it when it's necessary. And I want to point out what I said a little bit earlier, that all these things are things you could pray for every single member of this church without knowing anything going on in their life. And who wouldn't want these kind of prayers to saturate our lives? And so I'm pleading with you right now, if you adopt this practice and begin to read Scripture in a way that leads you to adore, confess, thank God, and even ask the Spirit to work, please do so not just for yourself, but for our whole church, that the Spirit might be worked not just in you, but among all of us. So now we're going to turn to God in prayer and ask his spirit to work in us according to his word. Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, we desperately need your help. Apart from your work in our hearts and lives, we cannot be who we ought to be. And so we ask that you would help us to stay in the love of our Heavenly Father, so that we both experience it and treasure it. And as we come to treasure his love, we ask that you would make us all the more eager to speak about Jesus to anyone who will listen. And when we speak of Jesus to those who are doubting, 
Help us to be merciful and gracious with our words. When we speak of him to those who have been deceived by their sin or are being ensnared by false teaching, help us to be courageous and truthful even as we show grace. And as we seek to love Jesus, speak about Jesus, and show the protective mercy and grace to our brothers and sisters in Christ, we also ask that you would help us to wait with patience until Jesus finally brings us home. We ask all these things knowing that you have commanded them. And so believing that you will enable us and strengthen us to do what you've commanded. Because of Jesus, we can pray, and we pray these things in faith. In his name, amen. So community Bible reading is a practice designed to increase our intimacy with Jesus through a daily Bible reading discipline and to increase our intimacy with one another as we respond to the scriptures together. So we've just gotten to taste a little bit of that how. We've surrendered through prayer. We listened to and meditated on the scriptures using Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We turn those meditations back to God in prayer. Later in the service, we'll be encouraged to share with our community how God has impacted us through his word. And so my hope for the rest of our time is to either give you a vision or to renew your vision by considering why uh, and how, or why and what a healthy Bible reading discipline looks like. Uh, Now, seeing where we are in time, I'm going to go through this much faster than I was planning to. Uh, uh, So uh, forgive me as I find my way through. Uh, But beginning, why do we want to read the Bible in community? We want to read the Bible in community because we need God's word to live. In Deuteronomy 6, 8, God speaking to the people of Israel about why he gave them manna daily in the wilderness, he says this, or Moses reminds them of this, God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, the whole point of God giving the people of Israel manna was to demonstrate they needed God's word. And so one of the reasons we want to cultivate this discipline is because we need God's word to live. And though you may be going through life not consuming God's word daily right now, the reality is for you to experience life of abundance that Jesus speaks about, you need his word to live. Second, we want to read the Bible in community because we need each other daily to remain faithful to Jesus. Hebrews 3 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. What's the solution? Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here, the author of Hebrews is concerned that we would fall away because of the deceitfulness of sin, and his solution is community. He says we need to encourage one another. How often? Daily. This is not just God's word daily, but one another daily. And so if we are going to remain faithful to Jesus, we need one another daily to do so. Third, we want to read the Bible in community because we want our hearts to be satisfied with Jesus. Continuing on explaining, or Jesus explaining how what Moses said about manna being a picture for God's word, Jesus then says it's actually all about him. And so in John 6, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, 
But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from the heaven and gives life to the world. And so they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. According to Jesus, the incident of the manna appropriately points to God's word, but then points even further to Jesus. We need Jesus to be satisfied. And if we come to him, we will be satisfied. And so we do this discipline together because we want our hearts to be satisfied with Jesus. So we read the Bible in communion because we need God's word to live, because we need one another to remain faithful to Jesus, and because we want to be satisfied with Jesus. But what does this look like? First, a healthy Bible reading discipline is daily consumed. The manna that points to our need for God was given daily. And if the point is to show us our need for God's word, it shows us like food we need to daily consume. We daily need to consume God's word. We need to recognize, though, as we create a discipline like that, it's possible to do this discipline with it just being a ritual. But the challenge is not to overreact by rejecting it altogether, but instead to recognize that while a Bible reading ritual can become ritualistic and unhelpful, it's actually necessary and is what makes intimacy with Jesus possible. So we simply need to fight for our Bible reading discipline to be more than just checking a box. And let me just say to our kids and teens, if you want your faith to be your own, not just your parents, you need to read the Bible for yourself. You need to read Scripture to be satisfied in Jesus. And so if you want to know what that looks like, if you want that, go talk to your parents. I'm sure they would be delighted to tell you how you can read the Bible for yourself. Uh, But parents... If that freaks you out when they ask you and you don't know what to say, please come talk with me or Rory. We'd be glad to help you disciple your children to read God's word. But a healthy Bible reading discipline is daily consumed. Second, a healthy Bible reading discipline searches the scriptures to know Jesus. In John chapter 5, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. There's three things I want you to notice there. The first is Jesus says all the scriptures bear witness about him. Rightly interpreted, Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. Second, they tell us that the point of the scriptures pointing to Jesus is so that we might come to him so that we would have life. So the point of a daily Bible reading discipline is not just to see how it points to Jesus, but to allow that to lead us to trust Jesus, love Jesus more. And the third thing I want you to notice It's possible to read the scriptures wrong. He says the Pharisees searched the scriptures, but refused to come to him. This is a reminder that the only danger to Bible reading is not failing to read the Bible. There's also a danger in reading the Bible wrongly. And this was me for years. Bible reading is not simply, I read so I pass. I didn't read so I fail. There are actually at least three options. You can not read. You can read the Bible in an unhealthy or legalistic way, or you can read the Bible in a healthy, faithful way. And once you realize there's three options, you might be tempted to think, well, at least reading the Bible is better than not doing it at all. But I just want to warn you that those who do the most damage to Christianity are actually those who read the Bible looking for what they have to do to earn eternal life. And so they begin to read the Bible in order to earn eternal life, instead of reading the Bible to hear of the grace we have in Jesus. 
So listen carefully. The enemy's goal for your Bible reading is for you to read the Bible, to read it regularly, and to read it sacrificially, but focus primarily on what you have done, need to do, or will have to do in the future, instead of thinking about what Jesus has done, is doing, or will do on your behalf. And so a healthy Bible reading discipline searches the scriptures to see Jesus and comes to him based upon his grace. Third, a healthy Bible reading discipline focuses on what's impactful, not what's confusing. In Isaiah chapter 55, God says, My word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. Which begs the question, what is the purpose of God's word? Verse 13 we read, Instead of the thorn shall come up cypress, instead of the briar shall come up myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Reflecting on this passage in Dangerous Calling, Paul Tripp writes this, Strangely, this passage says that when rain falls down, the thorn bush will become a cypress. But think with me. If rain and snow fall on a thorn bush in your backyard, what do you expect to happen? A bigger thorn bush. But not so with the word of God. When rain falls on the thorn bush, it actually becomes something organically different. The picture here is of fundamental, specific, and personal transformation. The ultimate purpose of the word of God is not information. It's life transformation and worship. But the temptation we face as we read scripture, or one temptation, is to focus on the things that are confusing us so that we can understand the scriptures better. But if the purpose of scripture is worship and life transformation, then a healthy Bible reading discipline will focus on what's impactful to us on what God is using to lead us to worship, to transform and renew us, not on the things that are confusing to us. Now, this doesn't mean there's not a place to study confusing things or study theology or grow in our knowledge. This is what I do every week as I prepare sermons. You should all be studying in these ways. But it's only to say that's not our first priority as we engage God's word. Our first priority is worship of God, worship of Christ, so that we would be transformed. And so if we're reading the Bible primarily to increase our knowledge of the Bible or to grow in theological insight rather than to increase our intimacy with Jesus, our love for him, and a life transformed by him, we're missing the point of Scripture. So a healthy Bible reading discipline focuses on what is impactful, not what's confusing. Fourth, a healthy Bible reading discipline is interdependent. If we go back again to giving manna in the wilderness... Moses points out something interesting in Exodus 16. He says, But when they measured it, are gathering the manna with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. As you read through Exodus 16, you realize that everyone went out to gather manna, but some came back with too much, and others came back with not enough. And ultimately, but, but as they dumped it all in a pile and picked out from it, Everyone went away from that, having exactly what they needed to survive. So again, ultimately, if the manna is a picture of our need for God's word, then Exodus 16 teaches us that healthy Bible reading starts in solitude, but ends in community. Each of us needs to get up in the morning, move into a quiet place, and endeavor to receive spiritual nourishment from God's word. But we should realize some days in that quiet place, God will give us more than we need so that we can share it with others. And on other days, God will not give us what we need so that 
we can receive what we need from others sharing with us. Either way, then, we should come together and tell the story of what God has provided for us and find out if God has something more for us in community. This is interdependence, which is different from both independence and overdependence. Independence says, I don't need you. I'm good. Or I don't think I should. Overdependence is believing, while I need you, you don't ever need me. Interdependence is believing, I need the people who need me to thrive. And so a healthy Bible reading discipline is interdependent. Now, if all these things begin to make you panic as you think about how much there goes into a healthy Bible reading discipline and all the ways you feel like you're falling short, this last point is for you. A healthy Bible reading discipline focuses on progress, not perfection. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul exhorts Timothy, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. His exhortation to Timothy was specifically about ministry, teaching the word, pursuing life and holiness in a way of love. And I think the same is true for us as we pursue holiness, ministry, and our own Bible reading. This side of heaven, we will not reach perfection, but we can all make progress. And small amounts of progress can make a great impact in our lives over the long haul. And this is where, uh, what Amy shared earlier, moving the needle comes from. The phrase comes from considering the difference, just moving the needle of a compass one degree can make over a long period of time. Imagine an airplane leaving Los Angeles to go to Rome. It's about a 12-hour flight. But if that needle is pointed one degree to the north or one degree south, instead of directly at Rome, It'll land in Tunisia, Africa if it's going south, and it'll land in Slovenia or Austria if it's going north. That's a 700-mile difference by one degree on the compass. In the same way, if we move the needle in our Bible reading discipline by just one degree, consider the impact that makes over the course of weeks, months, years, as we move the needle ever more slightly to greater faithfulness to Jesus. And so the goal of a healthy Bible reading discipline is not about perfectly doing everything I just described. It's not about accomplishing the reading plan perfectly or hitting our goals for the year even. It's about making progress and developing a healthy daily Bible reading discipline. And so even though you heard this from Amy, the reading plan is a core part of community Bible reading. We're reading the same thing together. The goal is not to read through the Bible in a certain amount of time. That's a consequence we're excited about, but it's not the goal. So you don't need to begin tomorrow, although we'd encourage you to do so. Uh, Nor do you need to read every chapter listed. Uh, You could do just the New Testament. And we don't recommend you try to catch up because that can lead to you not coming back at all. And instead, we encourage everyone to identify where they want to make progress and give themselves over to that over the course of a year, remembering we'll all need to make progress in different areas. So a healthy Bible reading discipline focuses on progress, not perfection. So with that in mind, I want us to conclude our time together reflecting on where we've made progress and how we want to make progress. If you've been giving yourself to community Bible reading discipline already, then ask yourself, how have you made progress this year? And actually celebrate that. Too often, we move on from that and miss sight of all the things God has done. But... All of us can ask where the Holy Spirit is guiding us to make more progress or to move the needle just a little bit. And on your handout, I've provided a long list of different ways that you could potentially make progress in consistency and reading 
broadly through the scriptures and how you read the Bible or uh, reading scripture in community. And so what I want you to do now is if you have that handout, quietly read over that, reflect on the things that you could do, and identify where the Holy Spirit is prompting you to make progress this upcoming year. So let's take a moment to reflect now on where we have made progress and where we want to make progress. Well, the last step you'll find on your bookmarks is an exhortation to share with gospel community how God has impacted you through his word. And it's my sincere prayer all week that our time together would uh, significantly impact you as we look to scripture together and reflect on why we do this, that the Lord would stir your heart. So I would plead with you, if the Lord did that today, tell someone. Uh, I know for me, the thing the Lord has stirred all week is as much as my Bible reading gives me something impactful every day, I think I need to slow down and start praying the scriptures again more regularly. Uh, So for you, whatever that might be, let me plead with you today to talk with your community. Uh, Tell someone how God's word impacted you after the service, over lunch, with your family. But find a way to tell others how God's word is at work in your heart. And if you want to start community Bible reading for the first time, your step is to grab a journal off the welcome table. For those of you already doing it, you should know Those journals are always available for you to grab another one if you need one. So please feel free to do that if you need to. But now, receive the benediction. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, so that you may be satisfied in Jesus and be able to exhort others to be satisfied in him also every day. Northwood, you are sent. Amen.